Welcome to the Juniper and Journey podcast with Keziah Ritter and Lindsay Heslop. We're so thrilled that you're here. This is a podcast dedicated to celebrating the strength and stories of women, good, bad, ugly, and beautiful in their own words. We believe in the power of real conversations, honest confessions, and playful nostalgia. You'll get to hear all kinds of perspectives from all kinds of women about all kinds of things. We'll talk about life and motherhood and loss and faith. We'll reminisce about the good old days, first loves, and old flames. This is going to be fun. Things might get a little rowdy, but we can guarantee that it will be meaningful, and we hope each woman's story inspires you towards empathy, compassion, and healing. Okay, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Juniper and Journey. Today, uh, Chelsea is joining us. Chelsea is a dear friend of mine that I actually met through the dance world, Um, my palm days. (laughs) (laughs) But I consider Chelsea a mentor. She's also who I call uh, when I need some sound advice, and she can basically give me the solution to any problem that I have. (laughs) So Chelsea's bright, she's driven, and um, just a total class act. So welcome, Chelsea. Yeah, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah, so Chelsea and I met because uh, she hired me as her JV. V Palms coach. Mm-hmm. Oh, best decision <laughs> ever, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> at Broomfield <laughs> High School. I actually remember I met you at the California Pizza Kitchen mm-hmm. at the Flatirons Mall for my interview, <laughs> and it. I was terrified. <laughs> but um, I'm and really, I was glad. really pregnant, I think. <laughs> you might so have I was like not ready to eat anything, but excited to meet you. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad you gave me the gig. Um, I have this one particular memory. Um, coaching is such a weird world and it it kind of is a little like world of its own but we had this really long coaching day it began with um the girls had competition in the morning so we were up at like 6 a.m you know helping them get ready doing the hair the bit the whole thing (laughs) and then the whole day is just stressful of course with managing nerves and all the competition things and then from the venue we drove straight from the venue back to the high school because the football team had made playoffs which is great but also like but we were exhausted. Yeah. It was snowing. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then we sat through, you know, a two and a half hour football game in the snow yep. in November. <laughs> it and was so it cold. was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. But um, I don't know. I just love that day because I think it just speaks to how quickly it feels like we became friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I always appreciated just how honest our conversations yes. were. And you didn't just share your wisdom with me, but you also, you know, you shared your life with me. You invited me into your home and your family. And so I just yeah. treasure you so much and, I, and I'm excited you're you here. You too. Well, thank you. And I think if you're going to coach with somebody, you have to have that kind of bond because you spend like we had like a 16 hour day. Like you were my person in this moment. So you want to like them. You, yes. ha- you have to get along and be able to not just have the same coaching philosophy, but like human connection philosophy or it would never work. So yeah. I knew right away at, at CPK that day. <laughs> we were we got be lucky. <laughs> we did. How long did you guys coach together? Like until so I think three or four years. I think so. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I was so, JV coach for a bit. Then Chelsea invited me up to varsity for a mm-hmm. couple years. And then um, Chelsea graduated into kind of like her next thing, which yeah. we'll get to yeah. in just a little bit. <laughs> cool. Um, but I would. So because we met through the dance world, mm-hmm. um, tell us just a little bit about, you know, your early dance career. Like how old were you when you took your first dance class? Yeah. So I did traditional kind of rec center dance when I was little, uh, starting 
probably four or five typical uh, little girl at the rec center once or twice a week. But I was the kid that did all the sports, right? So I did soccer for a long time, tried basketball, you know, did the Girl Scouts as well, like the normal little kid that tries everything. Um, And it wasn't until I was about 12 that I decided dance was actually really important and what I wanted to focus on. Um, So I did all the things really young, but I actually started focusing at about 12 uh, with ballet, especially like that started to click. It's like, I like this. And at that time being 12 to really start ballet is ancient, unfortunately. It's kind of late. Like right. it's very late. And that, uh, but I don't think I perceived it as late at the time. It just looking back, I was like, wow, like I, <laughs> most people <laughs> you are like in a pre-professional track by the time you're 12, let alone having just really decided it was what I wanted. But, um, so no. why ballet? Because I feel like if you talk, if you talk to your little, I mean, kids who dance, ballet is usually not the favorite. <laughs> right. It's usually like it's boring, it's lame, the tights. So like, why ballet? I, I think I like the internal discipline of it, and this is something I came to a realization of much later uh, that I like standing at the bar, and it is all your thoughts and your body, and it's very intentional about like which muscle am I using and exactly what position it leans into my perfectionism very well (laughs) (laughs) finding you know in this constant effort to be better and be better and be better and um I guess it was that it felt rewarding but also very like disciplined and I'm good at that internal discipline and so and I'm not I'm an introvert I'm so for as a dancer I didn't really like being on stage and I wasn't even very, I competed a lot, but I wasn't competitive in that mm. way. So I liked the training and all the competitions I would like do because my team was doing them and I wanted to support them, but it wasn't where I found the joy. Mm. So it, I like the bar. I like the solitude of it and it yeah. fit the more introverted nature, I think. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense for you. Can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned it, but just speak to that pressure, I guess, especially that I think ballet industry puts on, Mm -hmm. put on you, puts on young girls to be perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, in your technique, but also in in your body. Yeah. So I think it teaches, it teaches you to decide how much you want something. And if you're going to fight for it for yourself or fight for it because they want it, they, you know, you don't get up and train you know, take six hours of class unless you truly want to be better. Um, And as I got older and I started doing some of the pre-professional stuff through high school, um, you know, I would go to a, you know, summer camp, live there for six weeks, train all day. And you don't, you don't do that unless it's like your own driven perfectionism, right? And rather than uh, coming from somebody else. So it's there and I've had to learn to let go of some of it. <laughs> so that was hard. Um, but I, I think the, the body image stuff is a, is a separate issue that yeah. I definitely, uh, felt and struggled with. And so I didn't, and I think it wasn't until I went to a more elite level. So at the first couple years, I didn't feel it. Yeah. Um, and I am an early bloomer. So I was a girl who was taller and I had a bigger chest at a young age and, but I didn't feel it at 12. It wasn't mm-hmm. a big deal. Right about, I think I was 14. The first time I did one of those like summer camps with a professional company. And I noticed that I was bigger than most girls. And I am not like, I'm not overweight and I was very healthy, but it, felt I felt bigger. Mm. And some of it's just the aesthetic of a body. Like I said, I'm just like I had a chest that no one else had. I was like, what is this? <laughs> okay. Um and 
it been be- there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. It just, and it was weird at 14 because like you're not super comfortable in your body anyway. Right. Like, I don't For know many 14 year olds who yeah. are super confident anyway. And then you're around, you know, the professionals especially are very typical ballet bodies. It's very lean, very like muscular, but right. petite. And, and then I'm also tall. Like you put, I'm about five, nine and you put point shoes on, I'm six feet, which makes partnering, like dancing with a male partner becomes very difficult because mm. there were very few I could actually dance with Sure, because they had to be taller than me in shoes, which was rare. <laughs> right? So I spent most of my time as a soloist because I couldn't partner because oh, wow. they were all shorter than me. And I felt that pressure. Um, so I was a professional ballet dancer for about a year when I was 19. And that year I had, um, I got a solo, which I was very proud of and excited to do. And so the way ballet companies work, they have a lot of like those classic tutus that you see, they are in storage, like they have them all, right? Because they're expensive, they're very difficult to make, and they will cycle them through different shows. Mm-hmm. And so I went to my fitting to put the to fit that particular costume for the solo and it became clear that I was too tall and had too much of a chest to be able to wear it like it was not going to work and that seamstress I think she tried to not make it awkward or like feel better about it but it became clear that like they were going to have to make an entirely new costume if I was going to keep that role Hmm. and so that was embarrassing but then it was also it became an actual like debate within my contract of if they were going to pay for that or if it was going to come out of my salary wow. to have to pay for that new costume. And it ultimately they paid for it and they, I think, did the right thing. But it always felt icky. It always felt like I didn't belong because I shouldn't, they shouldn't have had to do that. If I right. looked like any other ballet dancer, it would have been fine. Sure, um, you didn't fit a mold. Yeah, exactly. That clearly they had. It was a very literal mold of what that costume should have fit. Wow. And it wasn't well, in a me. contract. I mean, that's got to be such a weird yeah. yep. thing for, I mean, even at 19, that's yeah. still, a, that's a young person figuring out who they are and to have stuff about your physical appearance on a contract like that. Yeah. And I think that was part strange. of it is, yeah, so the, the ballet company was relatively new, so they didn't have anything in the contract. Like, mm. I probably changed the contract for future dancers. <laughs> I don't know. And I bet they are Hopefully thanking you now. Better, right? <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully for the better, right? That's right. Um, but it, yeah, it, it was something that nobody had really thought about because that's not, you don't fit into that, you know? Yeah. Well, so how do, how did you then kind of cope with that moving forward? Did you... That was the last year I was a professional. Really? Wow. I, um, so I only did it that one year. And I don't know that I would have kept going without that anyway. Um, as I kind of alluded to before, I don't really thrive on stage. It was something I would do, but it wasn't really what I loved. And I had started teaching dance at about six, it's about 16, more seriously at 18, my senior year of high school, I taught a lot. And so that freshman, sophomore year of college, I had um, I was missing it. And I kind of, I was teaching little kids. I would go in Saturday mornings and teach little baby ballet and then go into my own rehearsals all day. And I had that kind of self-reflection of like, I am much happier when I teach the four-year-olds how to skip than I am when I'm training for my own stuff. And it was a shift for me that was like, okay, I don't actually want to be on stage the way I see my peers and how much they thrive on that. Um, so it definitely pushed me to be like, and I'm done. <laughs> and it, yep. This is not the right fit for me. Um, but I probably would have left anyway. Well, I would love to talk a little bit about, so you're married now. Yes. Um, and your husband is John and mm-hmm. he's wonderful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I, 
I love your guys' story because I think it's also pretty rare. So tell us how um, how you met John. Yes. So we are high school sweethearts and we were set up for our senior prom. So we oh, go. Funny. <laughs> it's crazy. That's so cute. We um, are we went to a relatively large high school. There are about 500 people in our class. And so we knew of each other, but definitely didn't run in the same circles. Like I knew his name, but I didn't <laughs> know who didn't know him at all. Um, but for all sorts of other high school drama reasons, um, I had a, a mutual friend of both of ours who basically set us up. And I was bitter about prom and didn't want to go. And <laughs> he wanted to ask me, but he's super shy and couldn't do it. And so this mutual friend was like, I, I'm just going to do this for you. And told me, like, I have a date. You're going to go with our group. It's going to be fine. And he was such a close friend that set us up that I trusted him. I was like, okay, if you say, fine, I'll go. And the only thing I knew about John was how tall he was, because back to me being tall, I wanted to know if I could wear heels. So <laughs> I the only it. thing I knew, and then that doesn't tell you much at a high school of 500 people, <laughs> like which boy it was. But right. so yeah, we were set up for senior prom. We went the Friday before, the day before. We went with a couple of friends for like a slice of pizza after school. And like then I knew, once I knew, and that was the first time we like said more than hi. Um, went to senior prom, um, typical senior prom where like there's after prom and you spend the night with like 10 people at a friend's house. And we went out to breakfast in the morning. So it was like a 24 hour first date, <laughs> super long and wonderful. Um, everyone else in the group was platonic friends. So that was a little weird because at the end of the, at the end of our date, that's like, you know, four in the afternoon on Sunday, everybody else just kind of scattered and was like, see you Monday. And we had that awkward, like, but I, I want to kiss him. I want to like, oh, yeah. we were having feelings and everybody else was like, cool, see you tomorrow. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was our first date and we have been together ever since. So this May was 20 years. Which oh my gosh. Crazy. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. I That's love that. <laughs> um, so I know this just from being close to you, but folks, for years, John worked as a police officer. Yes. Um, and also did SWAT for a little while. Yeah. Um, so I would love... Tell us about what it's like to be married to law enforcement. I think yeah. that is a perspective that not a lot of us share and know. So yeah. um, it's, it's mixed emotions, I think. So I spent a lot of time being incredibly proud of his work and scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to have both of those things at the same time. Like I would never want him to leave or quit because it made him so proud. It made me so proud. I wanted to share with the world what he was doing to serve. And then I was scared and hated it and wanted him to leave. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit of both, especially when, like you said, when he started SWAT, um, then it, it just gets more serious, but I could see how much it meant to him. It was clearly bringing him so much joy and passion. I was like, I can't stop this. So I'm going to roll with it and learn and figure out how I can support it. And there's a great community of, uh, spouses and, um, and also just other officers, his uh, best friend that he made in the academy, they always stayed close. Uh, and, and her and I actually became good friends. And it was nice to have somebody that I could talk to about what they were doing that wasn't grilling him about it, but she would give <laughs> me the real you know, yeah. situation. And yeah, so I, it was definitely scary and had its stress moments, um, but it was something that he truly loved. And it sucks that I have to use past tense about it, but um, so he with when he was out with the SWAT team was just in a weird fluke tragic accident and has destroyed his knee so he's medically retired and that that's actually been harder than being the cop's wife <laughs> like i think wow. i knew as when he was in that career and he loved it 
even if it, like I said, made me a little nervous and uncomfortable sometimes, it was like, no, but he's he loves what he does. And I have a career that I love, so I can get that and I can support that. And um, we're in a relatively small community. So I was like, if you're going to be a cop, this is like a good place to do it. And I feel safe with that. Um, but when he got hurt, he had a couple surgeries. They thought he could come back. He kept trying to fight for it. And eventually it was like, this isn't happening. You're now retired. So he was retired from his career and his passion at 33. It's turned out to be a blessing in some ways. He's been a stay-at-home dad quite a bit when our kids were small, um, which he fully embraced. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, And so in in 2020, what it is, he has been a stay-at-home dad who is also teaching young children. (laughs) (laughs) Never thought he would be a second grade teacher in a preschool, Um, but it's, it's working. So it's, it's got its advantages, but yeah. Talking about um, you know, your career. Tell us about that. So you're a current professor at CU. Mm -hmm. Tell us just about your field and what you teach. I think it's fascinating. (laughs) So I'm excited to get to hear about this. Thank you. So, um, I do, I'm a professor at the university of Colorado. Um, I, my actual PhD is in sports psychology. And, uh, so I teach for the psychology department and I have right now I teach, uh, sometimes general psychology. There's a lot of us that rotate through that. Uh, and then my kind of specialty focus as upper division classes is developmental psychology and psychology of personality. Um, so so, cool. They're so much fun. And so, (laughs) right. I know. I'm like, can you analyze my personality? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Anytime. It's really fun. Um, yeah, that's incredible. I know it's so cool. Yeah, so I'm I don't get to teach sports psychology yet, but it's still it's a side passion that I've been able to channel into more of a um, entrepreneurial focus, and so I get to keep teaching um, at CU, and I I love it, and I think there's been a huge connection for me of why coaching was so uh, such a big part of my life for so long to transition to teaching it it fuels the same part of me, right? It's the same Mm -hmm. type of like, I'm here to help you be the best version of yourself. And whether that is as a dancer or as an undergrad trying to figure out, you know, life Life. in your twenties, you know, (laughs) and a lot of developmental psych, we actually stop on, you know, the section about emerging adulthood, being 18 to 27 identity, who am I? And kind of really dig into that because they, the traditional student in the early twenties is as we all struggled with that identity. And what is that? And it's been fun to kind of lean into that and be like, you're not supposed to have it figured out. It's okay. Like, and right. how much relief they have of like, wait, I don't have to know what I do when I graduate. Like, no, like, yeah. it's okay. You can let that, let that unfold. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, so, you know, you are a professor at CU and you have two littles at home. Mm-hmm. You also own your own business. So a yes. couple of years ago, what? yeah, I know she's superwoman. You, <laughs> you launched, um, kind of, a, you know, a, a blog for dance team coaches mm-hmm. out of what you felt like was this necessity, like missing in that industry. So yeah. just talk about how, how is it that you do all of those three things? <laughs> like, how do you make that happen? You constantly try to balance and it never is balanced and just accept that that's okay. <laughs> I think, um, I heard, uh, I always wish I knew where this came from, but like, it's not really a work life balance. Like that's not a thing. You're never going to feel a work life balance. It's a work life blend of like, how that. do I get these things to work together? So, uh, yeah, it did. The, the blog and the writing came out of my own therapy, I think. But like <laughs> when I stopped coaching, um, my daughter was, so I stopped coaching in 
April, like when we wrapped up that season, she was born that June. And so I didn't have anything dance related until, and it was about December that I was like itching for. I was like, something, I need to do something. And I've always enjoyed writing. I think that's the academic in me. And so it's like, I'll just write because it helps me feel better. And if like five people read it, great. <laughs> that's us with this podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if five people listen, yeah, great. We're doing good. <laughs> right, exactly. But like you're doing it out of your own passion. And that's fantastic. For sure. Yeah. So that's exactly what I did. I was like, I just, I feel better if I can share this and get it out. I don't know how I do all the things I don't. And I guess I would say the other thing, honestly, is that my husband is who he is and that he is so incredibly supportive of my choices, of my drive. He gets it. And maybe that's the benefit of being high school sweetheart. Like he knew (laughs) from the get go (laughs) that I'm not someone who is ever going to stop and settle. Um, And he's such an incredibly involved father. And this would not work if he didn't uh, treat it that way, if he wasn't Mm -hmm. that, if that wasn't his choice. But we are absolutely partners in everything. And so that has always been uh, kind of the foundation and we're really good communicators. So that has always helped us find the grounds of how to like little stuff of who's driving the kids where and who can do, I have to go this appointment. Are you home? Who's dinner? Mm-hmm. What? You know, and I can, you know, have a super long day. I had a really long day. Well, every day lately, but last week, <laughs> last week in particular, I had a day that I was just wiped at like six and came out of the office. And normally I would start dinner and I actually really enjoy cooking. So that's fine. But I was just done. And I looked at him. And I was like, can I delegate dinner to you and you can go pick up something? And he's like, I love that delegating means picking up. And you know that. <laughs> I do. And we're good with it. And yeah. it's, I'm totally fine. And he's, you know, would step up and like put it all together and go pick it up and just let me sit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's, I think that's the reason it works is that we work and we have that balance. Um, doesn't mean I don't have the mom guilt and like feel mm-hmm. that all the time, uh, but trying my best, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I, from our conversations, I think what I respect so much uh, about just your approach to, I love what you said about that work-life blend. Because I think so as someone who doesn't have kids and who also would say I have a lot of passion and a lot of drive and yeah. I, I want to do a lot of things, um, there's some fear in going, what does motherhood mean for that, mm-hmm. for my career, for these things that I want to achieve in my life? And it's been cool for me to have an example in you to go, this doesn't mean you can't have all of those things that you love. Mm-hmm. It really, I mean, it, it changes, of course, yeah. but it's been so fun, honestly, to like get to watch you up close navigate that yeah. because, you know, I have some fear around that. Sure. What happens to my career yeah. when we start family? What happens to, um, you know, this little side hustle? And I, I guess I would love to hear more just, you mentioned mom guilt. Yeah. And I bet moms who are listening know what that means. Yeah, I was like, can we... Yeah. Yeah. Where does it come from and what do you do with it? Right. So I think, um, I'm glad to hear that it's helping you. And I am standing on the shoulders of the women that I got to see do this. And that was powerful for me. Um, there were lots of them, but in my PhD program, my mentor was a woman with, who had young kids early in her career, you know, in that world of academia, it's pretty rare and it's a tradition that you choose academics or family. And that is slowly changing. And there's so many wonderful examples now of women who have families and have amazing academic careers. Uh, But so, but to your point, like I got to see that up close and that really helped me so that I was, uh, 
my first child, I was pregnant during my uh, dissertation. So I like defend. So, but I felt like I could tell her that. And it wasn't like she was going to be upset with me. She was uh, so supportive and excited. And I said, like, I'm going to defend by his first birthday. And she believed me and she helped me support that. And I did. I actually turned in my dissertation on his birthday and had, it was a big, uh, goal, but because I had that woman before me. So that's always huge. And I appreciate being able to share and talk about it because it's important to know that like, yes, you can. Uh, As far as how I manage it, I've had to, as the kids get older, think more about quality over quantity and how I show up and what I'm willing to let go of. And so there's a couple non-negotiables. Like right now they're small enough that we have some after-school activities, but not a ton, but dinner, the four of us at the table is a non-negotiable. And so I don't care how busy I am. Often I will go back to work after they go to bed. But that time, four of us at the table, we will always be there. And then it's little stuff. Like I would love to do the Halloween party in kindergarten, but it's not an option. You know, like I can't (laughs) be the mom to plan that. And I have to just sit back. And so kindergarten, first grade was a little hard because I'd see a lot of neighborhood moms and stuff being able to do that. And like, do you want to join us? We're going to like plan the whole Valentine's Day thing. I'm like, honestly, yes, I would love that. But no, like I can't do that or in being okay with, you know, not having the like giant Pinterest ready birthday party. And I think I finally got to that realization, like I don't judge the other mom who is a stay at home mom and has made that choice and is, you know, I have another a mom on our block who chooses to homeschool like well before COVID, um, another mom who stay at home with very young kids, others, other professionals and like I never judge them for like their choice to homeschool or their choice to be at home with them and like put off a career. And it's like, why am I judging me? (laughs) Why am I feeling bad that that was my choice? Um, And then I have to remind myself of the model I'm setting and be intentional about that. So especially in COVID, it's been really hard to be home and have the four-year-old constantly like she said the other day, mommy, are you working all the days? I was like, oh, (laughs) ouch. (laughs) Right. Like I, yes which is bad, but trying to frame it for her. I mean, like, yes, but I really love what I do. And, you know, this makes me really happy. And like trying to show her that whatever her choice is someday, that as long as you're doing what makes you happy, that that's okay. I think the non-negotiables as a mom is what has really helped me. That Like as long as I keep those small things that I have decided for our family are really valuable and I don't let those slip. Yeah. Then I feel okay. Doesn't mean every day feels okay (laughs) by any means, but So we always ask, um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, okay. The literal thing came to mind first, my coffee. Um, I, my coffee. <laughs> I hate mornings. I'm not a morning person and back to personality. But I love that about you because I'm not either. Know, and I'm so like whenever we traveled together for dance, I was like, Chelsea is not going to judge my alarm going off seven times. And no, it was the best. Too. <laughs> it was awful. Um, I'm not. And I think that's one thing I've learned teaching personality and diving into that, how much we try to force ourselves to be something we're not. And I'm a big personal development. I will read all the things and I'm always trying to be a better version. And so when I'm like, I can't get my workouts in, I'm like, okay, then I got to get up at 530. I'm like, no, I'm miserable. Like it doesn't serve its purpose. I'm going to work out at 10 at night and I actually feel fine. Right. right? And uh, so lean into that. It's okay if you're not the like, because so much advice out there for parents of young children, it's like, just get up before them and enjoy the peace and have that time. And that I have a good friend that that is absolutely how she does it. And it works so well for her. And I'm like, nope, 
it just is not my time. And so I am the roll out of bed, get them ready, go about my day. And when they go to bed, I'm going to be up for another few hours. And that's my piece. And that's my time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think finding that time matters. But anyway, to your point about what gets me out of bed is a lot of alarm. And my favorite, <laughs> knowing my coffee is coming um, from a very literal sense. And then uh, I always have that continued drive and passion. Like I'm so lucky that all of the things that I do, whether that be the teaching or my business or my kids, all of them bring so much joy. So our next question is kind of the mirror of that first one. Uh, What keeps you up at night? Oh. I think the people pleaser in me is what keeps me up at night. I think about others and if I did enough or if I'm falling short somewhere. Yeah, it's that kind of people pleaser thing in general of, you know, did I, you know, did we miss family dinner tonight? And now I feel bad about it. And or did we, you know, I told somebody that I would do something for them. And now I'm stressing over how much time that's going to take or if I'll be able to help. And so I'm definitely the say yes. In personality, it's the high agreeableness that I will say yes to everything. um, But then struggle with how am I really going to do that and make it happen? Um, and so again, I'm an avid reader and that's how I try to handle it is I'm like, everything gets shut off and I just read something that is going to be interesting and engaging. That's not academic because mm-hmm. I do enough of that. <laughs> There's a time to read something else. Um, what to are try you to reading get me to right off. now? Uh, so my normal choice would be any sort of mystery thriller yeah, yeah. novel, but <laughs> I'm not actually at the moment, which I love. And, uh, Lindsay, I actually thought about this and when I'm done with it, you might love it too. Um, that it's, uh, it's a historical fiction, which I like every once in a while. Like I can't read a lot of them in the row in a row, but they're really fun. But this one is, um, it's the story of Alexander Hamilton from Eliza Schuyler's point of view. Oh, so, so cool. It's really interesting and fun. And so I thought of you and I was oh like, my gosh, Lindsay's yes. going to love this one. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'm borrowing that for sure. <laughs> yes. Charles, thank you. Yeah, thank so you. much. Absolutely. This was so great. I'm so glad um, that you decided to join us today. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Juniper and Journey podcast. If you heard something that resonated with you or that you have questions about, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Juniper and Journey and slide into our DMs. It would be our treat and total privilege to chat with you. We all have a story. If you're interested in sharing yours here on the podcast, please reach out. Bye for now. Cheers.